Listen, we're going to pick up where we left off last time with our study in the book of Acts. So if you'll take your Bible and join with, join with me in Acts chapter 12. We saw last time King Herod Agrippa I. He killed James for political gain. And when he realized that that won him some brownie points with the Jews, he had Peter arrested also. Um, the church earnestly prayed, and that's what we focused on last week, was earnest prayer. Well, the church gathered together and earnestly prayed for God to intervene. Well, God miraculously delivered Peter from prison. I don't know if you remember how that night he was delivered. He came to uh, the house, Mary's house, where the church was gathered, and he knocked on the door. Rhoda came to the door, and she heard his voice. She was so excited, she turned around and ran back in to tell everybody, and left Peter standing outside in the street knocking. You know, it's a very funny, uh, very funny story. Well, when King Herod came for Peter, he found that the guards were sort of arguing. Luke says there was no little discussion. Uh, It's his way of saying they were fighting over whose fault it was. The guards were arguing over how he escaped during the night. And King Herod was furious. He was humiliated. And his, his plans for another bump in the polls were ruined. So he had the prison guards killed. So let's just track with Herod for a minute. We had murder, attempted murder, multiple murders. This is uh, not a good track so far. So then Herod went down to Caesarea, and this is where we're going to pick up the text and finish out chapter 12 together today. So would you stand with me as we read in honor of God's word? Picking up in verse 20, the Bible says, Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Father, we ask you now to guide us through your word as we finish this chapter. We close um, this part of the story. We see an enemy of God and the judgment of God and the success of your mission. Lord, help us to take what we see in this book, to pull the principles and truths from it. And to walk out of here changed by Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this whole chapter has been about Herod sort of flexing his political muscles. And it's been about how the enemy, Satan, 
is using Herod to try to kill the momentum of the rapidly growing Christian church. King Herod hates the Christian movement. Make no mistake. He despises the apostles. He despises all they stand for. He hates the Christian movement. But more than his hatred of the church, Herod loves himself. His self-promotion hits an all-time climax when the people shout and give him the praise of God and not of a man. So all his political pandering, all his murderous maneuvering has finally brought him to this moment. And his moment in the spotlight has finally arrived. It didn't last very long. So what I want us to see is just a couple of main ideas from this narrative. I'm just going to walk through this quickly this morning. But I believe that the truths we find in God's word are intended to transform our lives. Do you believe that? So do you believe that what we read and what we study and the truth that comes out of this scripture is meant to change you when you leave here today? All right. So let's look at it as though we truly believe that. The first truth I want you to see this morning is this. If you oppose God, you lose. Very simple. But if you oppose God, you lose. King Herod chose his own autonomy over God's authority. Now, when we read about King Herod, it may be it's confusing to think about who this man is. There's a lot of King Herods in the Bible. And so I'll just take just a moment to give some clarity on who this is. So we have um, at least three that I'll mention right now. We have Herod the Great, who uh, was not so great, by the way. But Herod the Great, who uh, was in place, in leadership when Jesus was born. And this is the man who uh, heard the rumors of a Messiah being born. You remember he, uh, the Magi came through and he said, is this what's going on? The Messiah has been born? And he was you know, questioning them. And then this is the Herod the Great that um, issued the decree that all little boys under the age of two years old in this region were to be put to death. He was trying to prevent a new king, the real king of the Jews, from taking his throne. Well, there was no stopping that anyway, right? But that's who Herod the Great was. Well, after he died, there was another Herod that came along, his son, one of his many sons, Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas is the leader who was um, in leadership at the time when John the Baptist was really rocking and rolling. And if you remember, John the Baptist is the one who spoke against this Herod and his adulterous relationship. And he said, you, you cannot act that way, king. Well, that ended up where this particular Herod was seduced and persuaded to get John the Baptist beheaded. And that's what happened. John the Baptist had his head put on a platter for Herod Antipas. Well, when Herod Antipas died, this Herod comes along. And his name is Herod Agrippa I. And just like his father and his grandfather, 
he is going to do everything he can to stop a new kingdom from coming. Whatever he can do to put it uh, down and to stop this kingdom, this new king of the Jews from coming, that's what he's going to do. And he chose the path of self-exaltation. I'm going to raise myself up, make myself something great. The truth is that self-exaltation will inevitably lead you to fight against God. Human beings are not made to be glory of our own. We were made in the image of the glorious one. We're made to reflect his glory, not to consume it. But this Herod Agrippa, he was a self-exalting, self-promoting, manipulative, politicized leader who would do anything and everything to gain power and praise. After killing James, he must have thought, oh, wow, this is going to be easy. Because he proceeded to take some pretty drastic steps on his mission to domination. Well, God proved his power over Herod Agrippa in at least three ways. I just want us to see these quickly in the text. First, he delivered Peter and derailed Herod's plan. He delivered, God delivered Peter and derailed Herod's plan. The psalm we read this morning is beautiful because that that psalm speaks directly to what we read happening here. Psalm 33 says that our God um, confuses and, and, and ruins the plans of the nations. He puts their plans to, to ruin. But his plans will never be thwarted. That's beautiful truth and it's exactly what we see right here. This Herod had a, had a plan to bring Peter out as a big show and have him, have him assassinated as a, as a prop for the Jews to love him even more. He's determined to put a stop to this Christian movement. Well, God ruined his plan as he delivered Peter. Now, this was an opportunity for humility for Herod. Instead, he pridefully kills the innocent guards. Secondly, the part of our text here this morning, um, God interrupts Herod's big, beautiful speech. He's given a great speech to these two cities. They're all gathered to celebrate Claudius and, and he's given this big speech. Got his fancy robe on. He's been sitting on the throne. He stands up to give this great speech. And at the moment of climax, God interrupts his speech and he doubles over in pain. It's a speech about his own greatness and God strikes him down with a tiny worm. The irony is unmistakable. This man thinks he's unstoppable and God uses the smallest, most meager little creation to say, I can stop you with even that. Thirdly, how does God prove his power over Herod? I love the very next verse. It says, the word of God increased and multiplied. And the beautiful truth is, as much as Herod wanted to stop the coming kingdom, he can't stop it. 
That's a truth we see through the book of Acts all along. We will face opposition. We will have difficulty. We will have suffering. Jesus said it in John 16, 33. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And what we see in the book of Acts is even though we have opposition, our mission in Christ is unstoppable. I love that the word of God increases and multiplies. Our God is unstoppable. And if you oppose God, you lose. So the truth here is that Herod dies and God's word continues to spread. If you find yourself fighting against God, you will lose. So don't be on the wrong side of the battle. That's simple truth, right? The second takeaway I have for us this morning is this. If you take God's glory as your own, you lose. If you take God's glory as your own, you lose. God was very patient with Herod's opposition. I just want us to see the patience of our God. God allowed Herod to murder James. He was allowed to react in frustration and embarrassment and then kill innocent guards after Peter's miraculous escape. God allowed him to have a beautiful silver robe made so that he could show off in front of the crowd. God allowed him to sit on a throne in all his pride, just seething through his veins, right? God allowed him to stand and give this amazing speech about his greatness, a passionate king's speech. God allowed him to hear the shouts of the people, the voice of a God and not of a man. This was the moment. This was the breaking point. It was in this moment that he received what he really wanted. And this was the moment where God's patience ran out. Do you know that God will allow you to really go off the rails? He will allow you to totally mess it up. Do you know that? But our God is sovereign enough that you can totally ruin your life and still not mess up his plans. God is sovereignly in control that even if you've ruined your life, he can redeem your life. But our God is also sovereign enough that if you push it too far, he will take your life. Rather than humbly reject this ridiculous claim, the shouts of the people, he's a God, he's a God. Rather than reject that claim, he basked in the glory, God's glory. The Bible is very clear what killed him. God killed him. And the Bible is very clear why he was killed. It says plainly. Because he did not give God the glory. Church, the one true God will never share his seat on the throne. He will not share his glory with any man. At this point, God's patience with Herod Agrippa was exhausted 
King Herod had his 15 seconds of fame, but it would be short-lived as the heavy hand of God's judgment came down swiftly. God's judgment was thorough. Think about it. He died, but not with dignity. He died with disgust. People looked at this man's withering body and thought, ugh, that's gross. A man who was just on his throne in shining light, having people call him a god, are now looking at him with disgust and calling him gross. His body was eaten up by worms. What a horrible way to die. God took his life and his honor. The judgment was thorough. King Agrippa had crossed a hidden boundary line between God's mercy and God's wrath. And what I want us to know is that it's a hidden line. None of us really know where that line is. It's a dangerous thing to walk closer and closer and closer toward the line of stealing the glory from God. Who knows where that line is going to be drawn in the sand? For Agrippa, it was here. For Ananias and Sapphira, it was bringing some money and saying, oh, this is all of it. Yes, this is all of it. That was the line. And they crossed it. And God killed them. There's a hidden line of God's mercy and God's wrath. And you do not want to cross that line. If you take God's glory, you lose. This story reminds me of another king. There are lots of these stories, by the way, in the Bible. We could pick them out and and talk about them all day. And the reason is because the pride is at the root of our sin problem. But King Nebuchadnezzar, you can read about him in Daniel 4. In fact, I'll read a moment. I'll read this text in a moment. But it's yet another king who let his crown go to his head. Remember, King Neb is the one. I call him Neb. Is that all right with you guys? King Neb, he, uh, he built a huge golden image. And he put out a decree. He said, when the music plays, everybody's got to bow down to this golden image of me. Right? It's, If that's not pride and and, uh, narcissistic, I don't know what is. But there were three Hebrew boys. um, Shadrach, Meshach, and when I tell my children this story, I tell them it's to bed we go. (laughs) But uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the three Hebrew boys, refused to bow down to the king's golden idol. Even though he put out a threat. If you don't bow to this idol, I'll throw you in the fiery furnace. Well, he got word. Hey, there's these three boys that are not bowing down. And he had them thrown into the furnace. Well, Jesus joined them in the fire. And he delivered them. Well, then the king put out another decree that everyone must worship their God. Because that seemed like the logical thing to do, right? Well, in Daniel chapter 4, this same king has some dreams that no one can interpret. And Daniel comes along and says, I can tell you what your dream means. Here's what your dream means. It means that your kingdom will be taken from you and you will crawl around on the grass and eat, uh, eat grass like an ox. It's a fearful prophecy from the Lord's man. Daniel 4, I want to read to you. 
from Daniel 4, 29 through 37. Because 12 months pass after Daniel gives that prophecy. You know what happens in 12 months? King Neb lost his fear of God. In Daniel 4, beginning in verse 29, the Bible says, At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built with my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Uh Uh-oh. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. Who rules the kingdom of men? The Most High God. Immediately, the text says, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and he ate the grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like the bird's claws. At the end of the days, Nebuchadnezzar says these words. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever for His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one can say that to our God. No one challenges our God. At the same time, Nebuchadnezzar says, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords, they sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's a powerful story of how God can break a prideful man, bring him low, and then, in his mercy, lift him up. Now, the story we're reading of King Herod did not end that way. For King Herod, it ended with judgment. He died. Worms ate him. Jesus takes the prideful man and brings him low. And he takes the lowly man and lifts him up. In Luke 14, 11, Jesus said it this way, for everyone who exalts himself 
will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Church, pride is deadly. Pride is deadly. And after putting his power on display, King Herod is humbled. He thinks he's great, but he's not even greater than worms. Tiny, unstoppable worms brought down a great king. If you steal the glory of God, you lose. Thirdly, if you surrender your life to King Jesus, you win. If you surrender your life to King Jesus, you win. This moment is at the end of King Herod Agrippa's story. It's summed up with one little verse. The spreading gospel of Jesus Christ and the growing church continues on. A king is dead. The gospel is alive. King Jesus will be forever on his throne. There is no stopping him. Just as King Nebuchadnezzar said, his kingdom is from generation to generation. It's eternal. The worms that destroyed Herod were unstoppable, but the word of God is unstoppable as it spreads and the church multiplies. So I titled this message today, Contrasting Kings. And so I want to show you a few contrasts. This is where we'll finish today. And my hope right here is just to stir up worship in your heart. The aim of this message is not to help, not to load grief or guilt on you. It's to stir up worship for the glory of Christ. So I want to show you, I want to paint a contrasting picture between prideful King Herod and the humble servant King Jesus. Herod killed the innocent. Jesus delivers the guilty. Herod put on his fancy robes. He sat on his throne. Jesus was clothed in purple. A crown of thorns pressed into his head as he took his place on a cross. Herod gave a lofty speech to the people. Jesus lifted up prayer for the people. Herod relished in the praises of men while he refused to give God the glory. Jesus was rejected and reviled by men while he lived and died to the glory of God. Herod was killed by God as a judgment for his sin. Jesus was killed by God as a judgment for your sin. Herod's body was eaten by worms. But Jesus' body didn't lay dead enough, dead long enough for the worms to even get to it. Because our king is alive. King Herod is dead. King Jesus lives forever. 
We do not worship an earthly king. We do not look to any man to do what only King Jesus can do. We do not give glory to any man that only King Jesus deserves. We look to Christ. We give all our worship to Christ. He's the triumphant King of Kings. And there is not a man like him. I want to tell you, this text has a warning and it has hope. The warning is this. Pride is deadly. Kill it before it kills you. It will destroy your relationship with God because he will not share his throne with you. You will not be satisfied worshiping Jesus and enjoying him. You will begin to use him for your own worship. Beware. This is a slippery slope. It's so silly, but each week before I stand before you to preach God's word, I have to pray. Push down my pride and lift up Christ. This is not about me. It's about him. But if I don't kill it, it lives on. It's the same in your world. It's easy to read stories about kings who let their power go to their head and think, I'm glad I don't struggle like that. But I want to tell you, bring this truth home. The enemy is subtle. It probably takes far less than royal robes and a throne and a mob chanting your name to get you stuck in pride's quicksand. Be on guard. Be quick to give the glory to Christ. Pride will destroy your relationship with God, but it will also destroy your relationship with others. Humility is the key. I want to give you really quickly just three very practical things. You want to write these down. This will be helpful. The Lord gave me these this morning. So how do you war against pride? First, be thankful. Gratitude will guard your heart. If you acknowledge God's good gifts, thankfulness will keep your heart happy and your head humble. Be thankful. Acknowledge James 1.17 says every good and perfect gift is from above. It's not from within. You didn't do it. He did it. Gratitude will guard your heart. Be thankful. Secondly, own your failures. There's nothing more humiliating than actually... Owning when you mess up. I want to teach you five words that will heal your relationships. You ready? Here they are. I'm sorry. It's my fault. We laugh. But I promise you those are probably the five hardest words you say. Because you've got to swallow a big old piece of humble pie. To get those words out. In your relationships with one another. You need to practice owning the blame. I'm sorry. It's my fault. The first two words are really hard. But the last three. Give a devastating blow to a prideful heart. 
You know, we tend, it's our nature, we tend to blame, to deflect blame, and welcome praise. But we need to flip the script on that. We need to learn to deflect people's praise and own the blame for our mistakes. That's the third thing. This is a good healing help for pride, and it's just very simple. Give God glory. A worshipful heart that is constantly saying, Christ is glorious, is good at deflecting praise. When praise comes your way, deflect it where it really belongs, right? Paul said, I am who I am because of Christ. You don't have to deny who you are. You're good at some things. And people are going to see that. They're going to go, man, you're really good at that. Humility doesn't say, no, I'm not. That's just lying. What you say is, you know what? I am and thank you, but it's really due to Christ. He's really blessed me. Deflect the praise. Give God the glory. So that's the warning. Here's the hope. Take heart, church. Listen. Take heart. Nothing and no one can stop our king. Y'all didn't hear me. Nothing and no one can stop our king. He's unstoppable. His mission will succeed. He is victorious. And even when we have difficulty, we can trust that he's fully in control. Nothing can separate us from his love. Listen, I want to finish today reading a powerful text. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? Y'all stand with me. You got to stand with me for this. Listen, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress? Or persecution or famine, or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are, say it with me, more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life. Nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Lord Jesus, we worship you today. We are resolved this morning to give you all the glory. All the glory. You are triumphant king. There is no king this side of heaven to challenge you. And in this room, we are mere men and women. We do not want to oppose you, O God. We do not want to be found fighting God. So we surrender our lives to King Jesus. We join you in the unstoppable mission of Bringing joy to the nations as they see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Lord, would you use this church? Would you use us to bring glory to your name? That is our mission. 
And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.